This episode is just too special. We'd like to say Pauline and Simon are the first couple of the Founders Speak stage. No, we've never had a couple take stage as one team. And with what Pauline experienced recently as she was getting off a plane, this story is gut-wrenching as it is inspiring, as it is a story of love and belief and hope and resilience. Pauline is a board advisor at Viridios Capital and head of new ventures at Stealth. Her husband, Simon, is a director at Synecron Technologies. Pauline is German, French and Nicaraguan and went to school in 12 different countries growing up. At university in London, she started her own hip-hop record label. Simon is the most English-sounding Australian you'll ever meet. He was a record-breaking athlete at age 10 and is a children's author in his spare time. Together, they're building an eco-friendly chalet in Pauline's hometown in Chamonix. Together, they talk to us about the unbreakable spirit of a founder, especially when the only thing that matters is staying alive. Let's listen to Pauline and Simon. Last year, Con Junker, co-founder and CEO of TimeBank, shared with us the superpower that is at the heart of every founder's story, the power of persuasion. But today, we're going to share with you three more superpowers. 20 weeks ago, I was on top of the world. I was in Kigali. I, I was in, in, in Switzerland in an expedition with her planet Earth. I was in Kigali with in the first inclusive fintech forum. And then Switzerland at point zero. And then I took a dear friend with me back home to Chamonix to hike and to do some serious trail running. Isn't it beautiful? With a Mont Blanc just there. But 48 hours later, I was dead. This is our story. On July 1st this year, Pauline collapsed at Chengi Airport, having arrived home from that trip. She suffered a massive pulmonary embolism. A blood clot completely blocked the artery from her heart. It's going to be heavy to her lungs. She was given a 20% chance of survival. That night in A&E, I was presented with a choice. Backtrack, let me go back. Before that, over the coming few months, Pauline would suffer from massive blood loss, multiple organ failure, loss of blood pressure, nerve damage, dead bones, lung infections, heart infections, etc. And on that first night, having died twice already, I was given a choice. Pauline would die immediately without life support. But the very nature of that life support, inserting a heart and lung support machine directly into her arteries, would likely make her bleed to death. They sought my next of kin approval to proceed. Definitely dead, or probably dead. <sighs> what a choice. Pauline had a world-class medical team, thankfully, who themselves should be a case study in excellence in crisis management. 
These exceptional doctors didn't leave Pauline's side that first night. Stayed by her side, doing whatever it took to get her into the next hour and the next and the next. And this was just day one of 47 days in intensive care. So the first week was like a time warp. A timeless zone full of non-stop beeping from all of the machines, full of fear and hallucinations. I was heavily sedated to stop me moving, but in my mind was in turbocharge with three soundtracks playing in parallel in my mind. First up, the fear soundtrack. I didn't know what had happened, but my family were all around me, so I knew it must have been bad. I could hear the doctor's conversations, including the one about amputating my foot. They didn't. <laughs> even, but listen, even, even my eyeballs were bleeding. And I knew deep inside I could just relax, I could let go, and I could fall asleep, but forever. Second was the practical Pauline soundtrack, my to-do list. Does Simon know the details, the passwords of our French bank account? We haven't updated our wheel. BBVA emailed back about that fund. I need to call them back. I need, I'm supposed to be having lunch with that Ripple guy I met at Point Zero. And I have avocados from Kigali in my suitcase. The third soundtrack was playing was the playlist. Simon had put my favorite playlist on repeat. And during this time, my family barely left my side. They shared their stories, their love. They were crying, but they were giving me hope. They were giving me the motivation, the determination, and the sheer willpower to recover. So I made a choice. No, I'm not going to relax. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to fight. I'm going to get back on my feet and make the impossible happen. Okay, fun fact. Our bodies have eight to 10 units of blood, and Pauline is at least 300% Singaporean. By day five, she'd already been given 30 units of replacement blood. She was bleeding to death. She would die if she stayed on life support. The very thing that was keeping her alive was also killing her. Pauline's unique set of medical circumstances meant there was no precedent to follow. They had no way of knowing if her heart and her lungs could work without the life support. Again, definitely dead or probably dead. The medical team had to make swift, informed life and death judgment calls, successfully, thankfully. And Pauline started to improve. Over the coming days, they were able to lower the sedation. And by the end of the second week, we could communicate. She was full of tubes, so it was by sign language and writing only, but I could finally get the word into a conversation with her, which was nice. And then over coming weeks and months, she gradually improved. When I woke up, I was still confident I would make it to my brother's wedding in Switzerland in August. Little did I know. So when they removed the tubes, the first thing I asked was, how soon can I go home? 
By Christmas, they said. Ah, no, I don't have time for this. I'm busy. I'm too busy. Little Visipoline here, for those who know me. But I couldn't move. I had 14 drips and lines in me. I was totally dependent on others to wash me, to feed me, to dress me. I'd hit rock bottom by this stage. But a side effect of the loss of blood to my legs was that I had nerve and bone damage, and I couldn't walk. I couldn't feel my feet. So I asked the, do the doctors, I can't feel my feet. And I went straight to the point, will I walk again? It will take time. We don't know, but it will take time. So this time, I'd really hit rock bottom. But I've been down before, and to make the impossible happen, you've got to do the work. I was disciplined, I got myself organized. Mornings began with a daily stand-up with the doctors. Those who've worked with me know I love my daily stand-ups. <laughs> the doctors were proactive, constantly assessing and communicating. I then would split up my day into mornings, physical exercises, including visualizing and trying to feel my feet. Afternoons were focused on meditation and exercising my lungs and expanding my lungs and gaining my stamina to win my, myself of that gas tank. Over the coming weeks, I managed to sit up, to stand up and take just a few steps but I still couldn't wiggle my toes or feel my feet. How do you make it through something like this? Um, I'm still making that up as I go along. Um, but I, so we have needed a support network to make, the, to make it this far. On that first night in uh, Chang'e I had two good friends. Thank you, guys. Oh, sorry, I couldn't have made it through that night without them. Um, our families mobilized immediately. Uh, within 24 hours, we had a houseful from of mothers, fathers, sisters, and brothers arrived from Europe and Australia. I fired up two WhatsApp groups. Firstly, with the, we're lucky enough to have a lot of doctors amongst our family and close friends, and had a, an advisory panel, an advisory board, who supported me all the way through, and if nothing else, confirmed what world-class care Pauline was receiving here in Singapore. The second WhatsApp group was with our friends and colleagues and you know, a lot of members of the fintech community that Pauline's a, an integral part of. And just the messages of support were, I can't overstate how, how much it meant to us and how much it, it, uh, it got us through. My employer has been amazing all the way through, from my CEO to my boss, who just remains an absolute rock. And then most importantly, our kids. Age 14, 12, I won't look at you. Uh, at 14, 12, and 8, um, 
damn, what to tell them, uh, how to tell them. Ah, uh, thank you. <sighs> Mama was so close to death, I, uh, I couldn't give them false hope. So I was honest with them, I was transparent. I explained what had happened, that Mama had a 20% chance of living. That we needed to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. We also discussed how strong and determined Mama is. And that we need to be strong like Mama too. Remembering that strong people cry a lot, as you can tell. And they ask for help and they talk. So, I incorporated my first company in Singapore in 2008. It was the peak of the financial crisis. Just as my clients, Dresna, Merrill, Lehman, <laughs> Lehman's, were disappearing or had disappeared. My global products, benchmarks, made no sense in Asia. And I just arrived, so I barely had a network. So I turned to some of my clients for advice. They shared with me as well how difficult it was running businesses in Asia. As they shared their stories of their own struggles, they became a great support system. Fast forward, 2016, eight years, I launched a corporate venture right here at the first SFF in 2016. Last year, after a change in strategy, I left. We left. I left my baby. I'd poured my heart and soul into. I was deflated and heartbroken. Again, thankfully, I was overpowered by the generosity of my friends, my family, my network, my village. They gave me support, advice, and opportunities. Since then, my career <laughs> has taken me in directions I never dreamt of, taking on roles in carbon markets, financial inclusion, digital assets, and even marine fuel, believe it or not. That journey took me to Kyrgyzstan. It took me most recently to Africa for the Inclusive FinTech Forum, followed by Point Zero Forum in Switzerland with the amazing team of Elevandi and MAS, which led me to that flight and now the stage. Again, my village rallied around. For a long time in hospital, I couldn't use my phone. So Simon was my connection to the village. The village shared countless videos. So many videos and so many messages that kept me going through some really, really, really dark times. So, to give you three takeaways, the founder superpowers that helped me survive this crisis, the power of conviction. You know that faith that the impossible can, in fact, be made possible. Tenacity. Founders roll up their sleeves and get shit done. And founders surround themselves with a village, a network that challenges to greatness, supports them and believes in them, loves them, 
regardless of the outcome. There are so many other things we could have discussed today, but we leave you instead with maybe just one message. In life, we place so much pressure on ourselves, and then at other times, it just dumps it on you with no warning in the worst possible way. But pressure really is a privilege. It means you're still in the fight. So fight. Fight the good fight. You will get knocked down, but get back up. Trust yourself that it will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. Thank you.